Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story, they are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. I've met Katie when we were planting this new church where we are right now. She came on board to help us out. She's a worshiper. She's a lover of God, and she just gets along with people so easily. I was hoping that she'd be in for the long haul, but she had a lot more other ministries and other businesses to take care of. Um, but we kept in touch. And tonight, it's an absolute joy to have her share her story at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Pastor. I thought we were going to have you for a long term. <laughs> I know you call me out in the first five minutes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I love worshipping and I love yeah. Jesus, so it would make a lot of sense. But I was right on the cusp of joining Perth Prayer Fellowship in their ministry. Yes. And they were desperate for just someone to lead. And I knew you had so many other blessed people like Paul and others that could help, whereas they literally had nobody else. So I thought I'll help there. And if God leads me, I'll go wherever he tells me to go. Yep. And um, I've been there ever since. I love it there. But yeah, I, I, any time that you want me to come back, you for whatever back. reason, I'll come and if you have any special events or, yeah, right. I love seeing well, you. Well, just keep that note down. <laughs> it's on, on record camera. now, Paul. We're so. on camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you need that's me, nice. just let me know. I'm happy to come. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, Perth girl, born in Perth or not? Born and raised, yeah. So I was born at St. John of God's Hospital in Subiaco. That's where all my kids have been born. Really? Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, both it's my sister hospital. and I, yeah. And that was in 1992. And your sister's older or younger? She's two years older, but clinically about 25 years younger. Her mental age is between five and seven. So I've helped raise her from the age of nine. Yeah, so born and raised here, was raised between um, divorced parents, so half in Fremantle and the other half down in, in Rockingham in Point Perrin. Nice. Yeah, on the waterside workers' camps. So a bit oh. of a travel every weekend, but amazing, yeah. By bus or you? No, Dad would come and pick us up and drive us down there. Okay. Yeah. And Mum was in Frio? Mum was in Frio, yeah. Do you know why they split? No, and I've never bothered to ask. Yeah, I don't, yeah. How old were you when they split? I was two when they when they split. Yeah. So you probably don't remember anything from that period. No, I uh, I have memories of the house. I remember the house we lived in, and I remember the houses post split. Yeah. Um, but not much about the proceedings of such. Yeah. Mm. What do you remember of childhood, apart from the trips down south to yeah. Tehran? Uh, my childhood was pretty. Um, pretty different, I think, to a lot of stories that I hear of other people. Yes. Um, I don't know any childhood that was like mine or even close to. Um, obviously, coming from a divided household, yeah. I was also placed in foster care for a short period of time. And uh, I think it was about nine or ten months. And during that time, both my mom and my dad fought hard to get me back out of there. But the reasons were due to my mom's alcoholism and my dad's inability to maintain his finances. So he couldn't have both of us, my sister and I, and because my sister's intellectually disabled, the goal was to get us both out, but obviously it's imperative to have her out as well. So she was out first and then I stayed in a bit longer. And then after that, we stayed with my dad 
And then it got to a point where he couldn't handle having two girls. He'd never had full custody of anything yeah, except yeah. maybe a dog and his favourite boat. And so he was very overwhelmed by that and working full time as a business owner. Yeah. And so he uh, ended up, even through all the court proceedings, ended up giving my mum full custody. So mm-hmm. dropping us off at her doorstep and saying, I can't do it, you, you need yeah. to take them back. And from there it was quite a... Um, I would say difficult. Um, for me, it was traumatic. I know that obviously everyone's opinions are different when you, and I, the relationship I have with my mother now is fantastic. You know, yeah. I love her very much. We had a very difficult upbringing um, and I felt like it was because having my sister who couldn't express herself in any emotional way, so when she would react to things, it was very, very big. She would scream a lot, swear a lot, you know, both herself and myself and herself and my mom and the walls and so it was very dramatic all the time and it was always a screaming contest between my mum and her. So I was a very quiet child, like I said, making up for that now. And um, so, yeah, very, very toxic household. Um, and then on the weekends we kind of were just sort of left to our own devices but because we're down a waterside workers' camps, yep. you've got the ocean right there, a tennis court, cricket, you know, cricket pitch and a bike and I loved riding my bike. And so all the kids that would come on the Easter holidays, the Christmas holidays, um, you'd have a different cycle of different families that come every yeah, time yeah, and so yeah. they'd all bring their kids and so yeah. it'd always be really, really great. So it's a nice So it was adventure. a camping uh, ground kind of? Uh, no, like proper proper huts, like uh, dongers sort of thing. Okay. So sort of like the brethren camps down in yeah. Busselton type thing, like yeah. real, yeah, proper huts with two bedrooms and a kitchen and, yeah, fireplaces and all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, it was really, it was really rustic but beautiful, you know, yeah. and uh, that's where I fell in love with the ocean and fishing and all that kind of stuff. That's where that mm. was sort of born from there so yeah that's that's my upbringing and then i moved school. out at 16. Uh, and school where did you go Ifrio? yes so i went to uh white gun valley primary school yep and which is where my my dad actually went and then i went to his high school which was south Fremantle at the time yep. and now it's called Fremantle college i think they've merged yep. the two but yeah i went to south Fremantle, and i was a part of the scholarship programs there in both music and marine so marine biology and music so i studied the flute which to my horror was the instrument they gave us to learn yeah. and I didn't, I didn't want to play it. Uh, but my, my heart was always in singing. So they said, if you play the flute, you'll be able to read the music and by, the eight, by year 10, you can sing. We'll move it into singing. And uh, the marine side was because I just loved the ocean. I love studying the ocean and so I did both scholarships there. Oh, that's On academic extension. Yeah, they, it was all covered. So that interest was never sparked by anything or family or anyone like that. It was just a personal thing that you developed. Music or? Uh, uh, marine biology. Marine biology. So my dad uh, being a waterside worker himself and also his dad being um, an ex-Wharfie, so he used to work in Henderson. My mum's dad being a naval officer, I think it was just in my blood. My dad, <laughs> my dad loves fishing. He's yeah. a great fisherman at heart. He um, yeah. sells them a bit too expensive in my opinion and um, but makes a whopper. And he always has boats, was always out in the water with us. So it was yeah. just sort of a part of the upbringing and I just loved it. I loved mm. being out in the water. Snorkeling as well. Snorkeling, deep sea diving, um, oh. crabbing. I got my RST, so skipper's ticket yeah. at the age of 15. So I was out driving the boats for dad at 6am to pull the pots so he could sleep in. Um, yeah, had my first cray pot at the age of 13, I think, or yeah, something around that. And... Within three months, they had a reward that if you hit a certain amount of sales, that they would pay an all-expenses trip to New York City. 
Nice. And that was my first. So this training. was multi-level marketing. This right? was multi-level marketing. It was one of those pyramid schemes, yeah, <laughs> that I was actually good at. I was part of the one percent. So yeah, well, my first. What were you trip. selling? Creams and women's beauty, products. Beauty products. Women's nice. products, yeah. They still sell well, even today. Oh yeah, hundred percent. They're, they're they're thriving. They're doing yeah. great. You know. Good. Yeah. And uh, is that your first sort of? work or business out of school what did you do when you finished school no no i was working while i was still in my last two years of high school so yeah. i was working at chooks fresh and tasty okay. <laughs> i was doing drive through and front counter and then my first job out of high school was in disability services mm -hmm. as a community facilitator so i had multiple clients that I have to take out into the community and facilitate their happiness and quality of life and did you start doing certs and uh, mm -hmm. diplomas in that qualifying yourself yeah so that was a part of the uh they encouraged you to do yeah. you know theoretical and practical yeah. so i did my cert uh my cert three four diploma and advanced diploma in community services and social work nice and then i went straight from that into psychology at university but then the people that i was doing the volunteer work for the first three months offered me the job at the disability place so i stayed there for about three years i think about three and years. did you finish your psychology degree? No, no, we got about three years in and they had all these correlations, coefficients, statistics, and I just, mathematics, I bowed out after that. I was like, You're probably is... good at it. I, pro I could be, in Jesus' name. I could yeah. be good at maths, but no, I, I, I loved the helping people side of things. Yeah. I didn't like that I had to do mathematical equations wow. for exams. Yeah, so that was the end of that. I did law at the same time as well. So that was quite full on. So I was doing summer units, winter units and doing six units during the semester. So I basically burnt myself Loaded. out, I think. Yeah. And did you finish yeah. the law degree? Nope. Nope. Okay. When once business took off, I just dropped everything. I was working three jobs at the time mm -hmm. and I was studying full time. And the moment that my paycheck hit more than $3,000 in a month, I dropped That's everything. It. Cause for me, that was what I was earning with three jobs. So then you went to America just to celebrate and meet the business uh, headquarters? Yeah, or? yeah. So I went and sussed out the warehouse yeah. and looked at all the produce. Was it an Avon get... business or what was it? No, it was called Pure Romance. Okay. And the company had this huge warehouse in Cincinnati, Ohio. Nice. So they first they flew us to New York and then we went to the warehouse in Cincinnati, which they should have, you know. But it was fantastic and the, the people there were so lovely and yeah. Um, yeah, made a lot of friends, really connected with the CEO and his mum who was the creator of the company and um, that sort of set a seed in my heart that I wanted to do really well for them and also for myself and that's when I kind of took off after that. So you came back? So I came back and then for from 2013 to 2015, I was in Pure Romance and I became the Senior Director and Board Member for Australia, so one of six other women. And nice. um, I was also their corporate trainer for Australia too. So I was doing a lot of stage time and I was only, what was that? I would have been about 21, 22 at the time. Awesome. And so, very gifted. Yeah, it was, it, was very, it was such an honor, honestly, because I, didn't, I couldn't see it yet. I, I thought I was very new and everything. And then uh, one of my counterparts slash mentors in that yeah. company got terminated from the company mm -hmm. and we all believed unfairly. And she went to a new company that sold vitamins, skincare, household toxic-free products. And she moved over and she was getting all these extra benefits. The compensation plan was much deeper and it just made a lot of sense. So she naturally, she poached me over. Yeah. And um, there was a bridging gap fee and everything that was fantastic. That really was enough for me to think at the time, this is what I want to do. 
and it was the right choice at the time. And yeah. uh, we were in that company for nine months, and I think that was my peak in business. We, you know, killed it. Absolutely smashed it. That was the best. That was the best period of my business life. I think yeah. that's the part I really tre treasure because the I had a team of over seven hundred men and women uh, around seven. Australia, New Zealand, uh, in, the, in Europe, and in the USA, and I would visit them. So I was going between here and the USA the whole time that I was in that company. So why couldn't you stay in there? To stay in there. So I wanted to stay, but the same leader was again terminated. And when she was terminated, we were told that it was unfairly terminated. And we'd seen it before, and because she's quite a strong, powerful leader, and she had always just, you know, magnetized everyone in a room's attention. Yeah. She was just very powerful in her own right, and she was very good at what she did, like very consistent, the hardest working person we knew. So when she told us that the reason she was terminated was because of uh, what was the reason? That there were lies made up behind her back, that the truth was that the growth was too phenomenal and they couldn't keep the capacity. Um, and then when we found out that it was actually due to a lawsuit with someone else in the company that was higher up, higher than her, yep. she was trying to tear them down and mm. take them off their podium and they wouldn't stand for it. They instead terminated her. Um, she then turned around and said, well, that was because, you know, he was doing some things with my downline, with the women in my downline. And this is a grown Mormon man with four children. So, mm. you know, you start putting two and two together. Um, but I trusted her and I trusted and believed in what we were doing as a team. And I was her top leader in Australia. And you, yeah. when you're loyal and you're honest and you're trustworthy and, you, you know, all these things, when you believe in somebody, you hope for the same. Yeah. And so I really trusted in her and we were very much, you know, and we travelled all of Australia together, all of America together. So I knew her, I knew her very well, and I trusted what came out of her mouth, unfortunately. And so we moved to the third company and started over from scratch. And this was also during one of the roughest periods of my life in September 2017. And uh, we started back to zero. And yeah. And all the residual income from the others? We had to, well, I, I was forcibly resigned at that point because you can't be in two companies at once. So once right. I'd made the decision, I sent in my resignation letter, they shut down my account. So if I was able to reactivate that account, that account would be worth more money that I'd like to mention. But because I actually resigned by choice, I wasn't you lost forced, it all. I, it's all gone. Yeah, you lost your place in the... I've lost my place in the queue. I'd have to start over and rebuild. Mm. So yeah, and the third company was a company called Prove It and it sold uh, exogenous ketones during that massive wave of the ketogenic diet. So to get people in ketosis within 60 minutes. Okay. So yeah, no, there was a lot of manipulation with that move over, flying me out to the USA and trying to show me how this company is so much better. And yeah, in my heart, I think I was supposed to stay, but that's okay. That wasn't what I was supposed to do, obviously. And then within three months of me being her top leader again, we rebuilt all the way up. I was then, my team was doing about 60,000 in sales a month. And uh, yeah, I got the phone call to say that it's all online. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And in America, all, every time someone's sued, you can look it up online. Yeah. It's, you know, free information, yeah. right? So, and it was the person that she was, that was her upline that she thought she was trying to, yep. Yeah and herself versus, right, and her and the company. So she was actually being sued by both of them. Yeah. And all of the evidence was underneath. And we could see that we'd completely been played and that she genuinely was trying to ruin this man's life oh. and get him removed from this company. So at that point I had to make a decision. Um, and because she was 
she had such a fear and love bombing technique. She was very, what I would like to call in my godly life now, a Jezebel spirit. She's yeah. just very power and authority driven, yeah. would love bomb you, love bomb you, but you'd be so afraid to step out of line, so afraid to do your own thing, so afraid to be your own individual without her permission first. Yeah. You know, and if you weren't up to scratch, you know, leaders show up is what she used to always say. So if you didn't go live on Facebook every day, if you didn't show up to every Zoom, if you didn't add every single person you bring into the company into her chat so she can you know, monitor everything, and she feels like it's stepping away and that's when it would be just complete ostracization. You'd be locked Obsession. out. It was just nuts. And it's almost like a cult, right? It is a cult. It's a form of cult. And um, But they are Mormons, aren't they? She's not. <laughs> Apparently she's reading the Bible now, so praise God. I'm hoping yeah. for uh, revelation in her spirit for that. But no, I... Um, relationally with, with your uh, partners... Did you stick to one or through all this up and down? Oh, no. I um, I think at the time I needed those different men for different stages of my life and I'll explain. So the, the first partner I had was definitely someone that broke me out of my shell and made me who I was and was just a very gentle, loving person, but I didn't really understand what love was back then, to be yeah. honest. I wasn't prepared to love anyone. And then... From that, I went into probably the most passionate, crazy, amazing relationship with the Colombian Spanish family. And I still have love for both of them, um, but there just wasn't the right person for me. And then the next person after that was the relationship that was my last relationship. So I was with him for about two and a half years, and that ended really badly. But it was probably the closest thing I had to being engaged, having yeah. kids, you know, spending the rest of my life with somebody. Mm. Yeah, and that ended in September 2017. So, yeah, it was rough. It was a really rough situation. There was um, an incident of domestic violence and he was charged with two offences. And so after that, it was a two-year restraining order. So it was like losing your best friend and your partner overnight. Yeah. And then also losing the, the company as well because she was terminated that week too. So I lost my job and my family and, like, everything all at once. And I was living down south at the time. Cold turkey. Yeah, literally. Full cold turkey. So, but I needed that. I think I needed to see the truth of everything. It was definitely intentional. I yeah. think that God, you know, he's put his foot down a few times in my life. And I think things happened specifically for God's purpose anyway. So, and I'm really grateful he did what he did. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. What happened next? Well, I... Like I said, I realised that there was something shady about her character and then when it was brought to fruition that there was something very wrong, I went back on the emails that I received from the company that we'd left that I loved and I had received a bunch of uh, emails from the executive general managers telling me their truth about yeah. their experiences with her and what the truth is and you need to be careful of women like this, like, you know, we know you're young, and you know, but we want to keep you here. What do we need to do? Tell me what we need to do. But I put them all into an outbox so I didn't yes. see them, you know, and I've gone back through them all and every single one said the same thing, you know. And uh, I realised at that point I need to slowly learn how to stay in the company because it was my only stream of income but slowly just back away and back away and do my own thing. So I yeah. started looking at making my own groups, making my own recipe books, making my own fitness plans, making my own and started doing my own thing and branching off from what she was so well known for and what we were both known for, as well as probably 16, 17 other leaders around the, around the globe. We all use the same systems. And when yeah. I started taking a step back, 
she flew down to Australia and met with my team in Melbourne and online with my team in Brisbane and New South Wales, New South Wales and Brisbane, I should say, and convinced them to leave my business and not physically pull out. So the money yep. was still coming in, but shut me off from everything, removed me on all social medias, removed themselves from my groups. It was full bullying like it was yeah. very much segregation by this leader created into and bled into my team through lies and manipulation because she knew she was losing control with me so she had to take back control of the team yeah. so try to segregate me out and pull out what she thought was the cancerous pluck and leave the rest to grow so she did that very well she flew my leaders out on private jets gave them gucci gave them you know met them met the ceo like they try to smother them in love again and love bond them and show them what she could give them in a life of business with her yeah Meanwhile, I was receiving horrible text messages, phone calls, emails Thanks. from these people saying how awful of a person I am for all these things that I didn't do. And um, nobody was listening. So for almost a year, I went through hate speech, harassment, people going live on Facebook, making groups about me, putting little demon emojis over my face, doing blogs about me. It was pretty, you know, when you're in the limelight online, they either love you or they hate you. There's no in-between. You can't win. You can't win. And so, yeah, I realized at that point that I didn't want to continue business. It wasn't good for my mental health. And I'd started doing some research on TikTok. Um, I downloaded the app to distract mm -hmm. myself from the other platforms yeah. that I wasn't on. It was the one app that I had to myself that nobody knew me on. And so I started watching things on there and I started waking up to a lot of the situations in the world and what was happening around the globe because at that time the app was not censored. So yeah. I was seeing a lot of the truth about the medical upcoming apartheid and all of these things about segregation and the, the things that were going to happen with COVID and people were trying to expose the truth even before it became the yeah. truth, you know. And um, so for me, uh, I realised there was more to the world. There was things I didn't know. There was things that I trusted my whole life like the government and, you know, all of my medical professionals that may not be what they what I thought they were, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. while this was happening, every third or fourth swipe on TikTok, there'd be like a Bible verse or someone preaching or like someone going, stop scrolling and I'll just pray for you. And I think Bible bashers, like, okay, whatever, you know, yeah. I just keep scrolling. But I could see that looking back that it was Jesus just trying to show me and wake me up a little bit, but then say, I'm still here. And then he would like show me more, but I'm still here. I ignored all of that. But then I was... Uh, during that whole period of my life where I was really segregate, segregated and ostracized from those chats that I thought were all my closest friends and all these leaders and I, we'd go to Florida and hang out in mansions and, you know, we're living this high amazing materialistic lifestyle together. They cut me off the moment she cut me out because they knew if they talked to me, they too would then get the chop and they couldn't afford to be left out, right? Yeah. Very, very controlling. And so because they'd turn on me, I felt like I'd lost everyone and everything. And so I started turning to what I thought was the right thing to do, which is to meditate and mm. to learn more about scribing and crystals and how to heal through Reiki and all this new age stuff. So my whole family and I had always believed in psychics and um, my family don't know who Jesus is and yet. And um they were all just very new agey. They believe that if they go to a fortune teller and they say to us that X, Y, Z, that that will come to fruition, you know. So any decision that was made in the household with my mom, it's what did, what did our psychic Fiona say, you know. And so um, and that was due to one time I was saved from a plane going down, not crashing like they survived, but going down an emergency landing because she told me not to board a certain number 
and I didn't get on that plane from Sydney to Adelaide and it emergency landed. So ever since then, I was like, well, she must be legitimate, you know? Yeah. Amelia spirits are very smart like that. Um, but new age, very much in the new age world. And I went really deep and really fast in that because obviously I've been you working in the world for so, that's right. And I, I'm a massive sponge Desperate. for knowledge, right? Okay. So when I'm in an emotional state and I want to learn quickly, I do. And I'll just dive head first and learn as yeah. much as I can and absorb it. It's just how my brain works, especially when I'm passionate about something. So I did and I learned that I had this amazing gift where I could see visions and I could see things and I could hear things and I just kept working through that and opening up different portals and channels and playing the spirits. And it got me to a place where I was in a really bad place myself, but I was able to help others, which I always did for free. And you could show me a crystal, I could tell you what it does and where it's from and blah, 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 blah. Um, and it got to a point where I didn't even need tarot cards anymore. I could just draw a square on a piece of paper and start circling and it would feel like I'm being shown something. So it was wow. just very quick, you know, and yeah, it was a you very took, big landslide. You took the shortcuts. I took a lot of shortcuts, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I would listen to podcasts. I would li I'd just constantly be flooding my brain with my own new age propaganda, basically. Yeah. And I believed everything I heard because I didn't know any better. And then, um, so what I did is I created a manifestation group where I would create manifestation for business owners. And that's what started generating a second income while I was being ostracized by my other team. And people were coming to me for advice about their business and how they can manifest money or love or anything in their lives. And I was on a live one time doing a keto kitchen. I was cooking in my kitchen. And one of the, one of the viewers that I'd met from one of my first businesses said, would you be open to doing a job in sales? And I said, yeah, I would, I would love to hear more about that. So she slid into my inbox and she said, look, we, we work at a recruitment agency. You're great at sales. We need people. Would you like to give it a go? We're hiring graduate level people. And I thought they were the scam. That's the irony. And yeah. um, I was like, okay, I'll come in for the interview. And I went in for the interview and I was there for three hours. And on the spot they offered me, would you like renewables or oil and gas? And I said, I don't know anything about either of those things. Yeah. And so one of the managers came in and said, what do you like? And I said, the ocean. He goes, great, you can be on my subsea team in oil and gas. And that's where my career started in oil and gas. And that was in 20, December 2018. As a recruiter. As a recruiter. Wow. So slowly I pulled away from business until eventually I was able just to, to stop it completely. I was able to make enough money to be like, you know, this isn't what I was on before, but I'm surviving. Therefore, I want to cut off all ties. Even back then I was just, yeah. you know, chopping people off and um, breaking off any soul ties. And um, I was thriving my first year at that job. I was the Asia Pacific Rookie of the Year. I build, I don't do anything in halves. Yeah. <laughs> um, I build over $600,000 in revenue, and um, which is uh, not normal for a graduate. And um, I love my job, I loved it. I had so many clients, I had so many amazing candidates that I'd placed on these incredible jobs where they'd been uplifted 10, 15, 20% in their pay. Wow. And um, it just felt really good to be helping people again in a place yeah. where you're being rewarded, but it's not online. It's not, you know, I'd never had a corporate job in the city before. So I had high heels and all these beautiful outfits. And once again, I became that person again, but in a different, different way, you know, I was able to be myself. And um, then February, 2020 came. And uh, that's what changed my life forever. That was the end of the end for me for all my new wage and, living in the world. What happened in February 2020? So February 24th, 2020, I went in for major surgery and um, because at the time I was a vegan, we all go through phases, and um, 
I went in for the surgery and then when I came out after 16 hours of fasting, I was still very much intoxicated on the anaesthetic. The lady came and offered me some Arnott's biscuits because I needed to put something in my stomach and I said, I can't have that. It has milk solids. And my friend was also vegan, so he was like, no, we'll just take her early and we'll go get her some food on the way home. But the distance between the hospital and my home was 45 minutes. So what he didn't realise was that I was actually having a reaction to the anaesthetic. And by the time he pulled out the car, put me in the passenger seat, um, my legs were under the, the passenger side and I was leaning back quite far with a pillow behind my head. And I just remember the drive. I remember this so well. It's bizarre that I do, but... I remember the drive so clearly because I was trying to just stay, stay here and stay present because I could just kept drifting and the hallucinations were absolutely wild and I'd never really done drugs in my life ever. So for me, this was my first experience at hallucinogens. So I felt like I was losing my mind. You know, I was seeing people talking to me inside the car and, you know, seeing colours everywhere and it was very bizarre. And um, we got all the way up to Ennis Avenue on the corner of Ennis Avenue and Dixon Road. So we had about 10 minutes to food. And I couldn't take it anymore. I basically felt like I'd been spinning a hundred times and I said, I'm going to be sick. So he pulled over on the side of the road and where there was two land surveyors on the corner, we pulled over past the gravel and onto the grass, but the grass was still just think of like um, sort of shoots of old burnt grass. It was yeah. like a, like a, like a, a sand dune type thing. Yeah. So we pulled over onto that cause I didn't want the boys to see me throw up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness we came off the gravel. And in the time that it took my friend to step up out of the driver's side and walk around. around the front of the car, I had opened my door, taken off my seatbelt, and when I grabbed the door to throw up with my legs still under the passenger side, you fell. I threw myself out the car and fainted on the way out because of the force. And so because of that, I landed face first and I grazed my face along the ground, fracturing my jaw and completely going unconscious. I didn't feel anything. I was already, I'd already fainted. But I, I went along the ground and my head went underneath the door of the car while my legs were still in the passenger seat. So I broke the bottom of my spine and the top of my spine as I had an impact seizure and my neck hit the bottom of the door. So oh. I was in a bad place. And that's in the 10 seconds it took for him to walk around the front of the car. So naturally he waited for me to finish seizing and the two called over the land surveyors that came running over. And apparently just as they pulled me out to lay me flat, not realising that there was obviously other damages, an ambulance just happened to be driving by. Oh, what a miracle. And so, yeah, they, thank you, Jesus. They held it over. Absolutely. So he, he waved it over. They pulled over. They were on their way, way somewhere else, but they were able to bring me back. Mm -hmm. But while I was gone, I had an experience that I can't explain. When I got back into the ambulance to leave, it was on the second ambulance, yep. I had full amnesia. I'd lost all my memories. I didn't know where I was, who I was, my business, anything. I had little snippets of the person who I was with, my name, like my first name, but nothing else was familiar. Mm. Nothing else was familiar. And um, it was like that for a good seven months afterwards. And the recovery was long. Slow. Very, very much a slug. And... Um, yeah, it was the roughest time of my life and I, I'm very blessed that I was able to get through that and still be able to walk and talk and, you know, and that was all just Jesus. But, yeah, no, I, I had an experience while I was up there and I knew there was more than what I thought there was to this life. I didn't. Yeah. I thought that you just died yeah. and that was it. You go black, you fall asleep forever, like this is your chance to live, live now. Yes. When you die, there's nothing else. And yeah. that's what I was always told. That's what my parents believe. That's what, you know, they just, I've always believed that, you know.
And so when I realized I was dead, but without realizing I was dead, I could see that I didn't have a body. I realized when I came back that that memory stayed for a reason. It's because I needed to share that memory. Yep. So it was just fantastic. I, the love that I felt was a reason that I was so desperate to go back for seven yep. months because I didn't know anything else here. I was in full state of amnesia, right? So after about so yeah, seven months of recovery, we'd had the two lockdowns in 2020. So the first one was March 18, which was when I was supposed to go to South Africa, but obviously I was too sick for that. And we also went into lockdown. But then even after that, I just couldn't seem to get back into the groove of things. I couldn't, my job was really concerned and they were questioning whether, you know, I deserved my promotion. They were, you know, really worrying about me in a lot of ways. I would go to cafes or go shopping and would forget where I am and have to call whoever's at the top of my phone and just say, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where I am. And it was just a very scary time of life. And I just felt, you know, the love that I felt while I was dead is what I need. Like I need to go back to that. And so I became super depressed and super suicidal. I just didn't want to be here anymore. Mm. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, it was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. And you were on your own during this time or you still yeah. on your own? So I've been living on my own for on and off for about 10 years now. Yeah. And how did you meet the Lord? So I don't know if I met him up there, but when I – when I had the accident and when I feel like it was my version of death, the first thing I saw was just colours and the, the colours were just everywhere, just everywhere, and they weren't colours that I'd ever seen before. Yes. So I couldn't tell you, like, pink and purple make this colour. Like, these are colours you can't name. Like, I can't yes. tell you what yes. they are. And the overwhelming feeling of love was the first thing that hits you. It's just yeah. this massive, it's the most most loved you've ever been in your entire life times a million it's just it's the real love that i don't think exists in this world right now without mm. god and um the peace and just you know it's like waking up from a really long nap and it was just a beautiful experience and then coming back to the earth and going through all of that you know by seven months in i was pretty much ready to take my own life and i'd made myself a playlist of all the songs that i did remember from my childhood yeah. that created nostalgia and I put all seven on a playlist, lucky number seven. And the song before the song that was the supposed that's supposed to be the the end for me, I would listen to the whole playlist every single day leading up to it. And then on one particular day, I was working at my desk. It was a really rough day working from home. And <coughs> bless <me>. you. <laughs> and the sixth song started playing, and then it skipped, and then another song started playing instead. Mm. And I just let it go because I was working and I was so busy working because yeah, work's so important. And um, it just kept playing and it got to the part of just before the chorus and I just felt like something move in me. It almost felt like I was getting emotional about this song and I'd never heard it before so I just stopped to listen to it. And then I remember standing up and walking towards my kitchen and not quite making it and I ended up just dropping to my knees and crying and I cried for so long that by the time I was done, the sun had set, my emails were off the chain, my phone had been ringing off the hook, but I had heard nothing, I'd seen nothing, and I was just in full-blown surrender for what felt like hours. It would have been about two, three hours. And um, when I finally came to, I had so much peace and I felt so much better. <laughs> and um, all of those feelings of wanting to take my own life and depression, and they had all just left me. Wow. So I became addicted to this song because I still didn't understand what this song meant, you know, yeah. but every time it played, it made me feel good. Yeah. 
So I became an avid listener of this song, Rain, Hail, or Shine, for the next week. I was listening to it every single day on my drive home, on the train, everywhere. At work, I'd have it in my ear pods. I learned the song back to front, inside out. And I started really wanting to know what else was out there and sort of I, I Googled the band, which wasn't yeah. a band, it was a worship group, obviously. Yeah. And um, I realized that they were an Australian band and I got really excited. So I typed in, you know, services or tours of, of this band. And they said there's one at uh, UWA uh, on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And I thought, hallelujah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's amazing. So I went, to, um, I went to that service and realized that it wasn't a band. It was a church. <laughs> and they said, welcome to church. And I went, what? You know? Concert. And they're like, woo! And I went, what is happening? You know, and I went right up the back in the dark. But I stayed and I listened to what they had to say. And I was like, yeah, this is not my crowd. This is not for me. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. But I almost felt too awkward to leave because yeah. there's people at the door and I didn't want to cause a scene anyway. And they could tell I was a newbie. And um, But, yeah, they had this amazing songs at the beginning, these amazing songs at the end. And then they did a prayer and I was like, yeah, all right, I'll take a bite. And so I put my hand on my heart and I started saying the words out loud and I got halfway through and I started sobbing again, completely sobbing. Wow. And I got all the words out and I just felt this amazing release afterwards. And they were all clapping and I, I'm glad they were because I was crying loudly at this point. And um, then they gave me a little bag and a, a book and said, come back next week. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> and then as I'm walking to the car park, a lady stopped me and she said, You're, you, should, you need to come in the evenings. This is not, this is for the, we don't do mornings with youth. You should come in the evening services. And I thought, okay. And this was on January 10th, 2021, by the way. Okay. This is quite recent. Um, and I was like, okay, fine. But I was driving from Rockingham. So I thought, you know, I'll go home. And then I got home and thought, nah, I don't want to do it. And then something just said, you need to go. And I went and sure enough, the whole room was just full of my age people. people. You know, I felt yeah. so much more comfortable and they played different songs and they spoke about different things in the Bible and they, then they sang more songs and they did the same prayer. So I did it again and this time I said it with confidence and I delivered it because I knew what I was saying and I, I finally understood that maybe this is where I need to be and whoever Jesus is, I need to get to know him more. Nice. And that's where it started. And then I just became on fire for God. I never missed a service. Um, I really love learning all the songs. So I became a worshipper before I was a worshipper. And um, I loved how they did healing and prayer. I love prayer. And, yeah. I and things just made sense. Everything just it started falling into place. And I remember feeling that I need to move to the city. I need to leave my whole life behind. And that was two weeks before accepting a place in West Perth where I then moved next door to someone who has been my guiding light through this whole entire journey, Kath Forbes. Through the entire wow. journey, I moved next door to her in West Perth. That's how we met each other. And God set off my alarm, so we'd both run out thinking someone's trying to nick my car, and we're both in our pyjamas standing there being like, hi, nice to meet you, and that's how we met. Wow. So it was all God's plan that he, I really feel that he wanted me to live in the world as much as possible with the gifts that he had anointed me with so yeah. that I could use them for his kingdom when I was ready to come home. So, and I really feel that in my spirit that that's, he prepared me through all of that, you know, yeah. power and authority straight down to nothingness again and stripped me bare naked and then went, right, now you're ready, <laughs> you know, and now we can use you. So um, it's been such a journey, but I, I would not have it any other What way. are your parents saying about Katie, <laughs> you, Katie Rowe? 
So obviously they're used to, you know, boss lady Katie Rowe that's very independent and runs all these businesses and blah, blah, blah. So they knew that there's things to trust about me and that, you know, what I yeah. say is what I mean. And and so when I came home and I said, Mum, I gave my life to Jesus. And she goes, who? And I said, I gave my life to God. She goes, oh, Katie, look, let me just, I was like, whatever you're trying to say, I don't want to hear it. I felt the Holy Spirit today and I know he's real. And she goes, okay, we'll talk about this another time. <laughs> that was my mom's reaction. And dad? Dad, he goes, what's that on your neck? <laughs> I was cross. Like, oh, um, yeah, that's a, that's a cross, dad. He goes, Catholic or Christian? <laughs> I went, Christian. He said, oh, Kate, look, the people that, that read the Bible, they're just, they're manipulated and that they're, they're always afraid. I said, that's not how I feel. I feel empowered. I feel strong. Yeah. I feel I can take, I have no fear. It's actually quite the opposite. Goes, oh, just don't get lost in it, Kate. People never come out once they go. And I was like, yeah, I hope not. I don't want to come out. I don't want to. And he was like, oh, no. Like, Too late. Yeah, just drinking the Kool-Aid of something new, you know. Too late. I was like, no, that's it. It's it for me. But I think the best part about my parents is that they just trust my decision-making process yeah. because I've had my own for so long that they know that no matter what they try to say to influence me otherwise, I just won't have it. And I think yeah. that's why even though I met so many Christians during my business journey, they prayed for my salvation, but I wouldn't have a bar of it because I've always been so independent and stubborn and, you know, opinionated of my own. You can't convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it took Jesus to show up and convince me otherwise as the only person what's, who can. What's next for you? What's the legacy you're building? So for me, my biggest goals is to save souls. I really feel like evangelism's on my heart. I yeah. love praying for people. I yeah. love healing. And um, I feel like... For me, ministry and mission trips and that everything that I loved about my old life, yes, the things that I do miss, like yeah. travel, I would love to do for the sake of others. You know, I've sponsored four kids now from Menorah, actually, oh, from that night yeah. at Menorah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, I still sponsor those four girls. And Wonderful. I would love to go and meet them, see where they eat, see where they sleep, you know, yeah. really support their families, you know, but... Yeah, I've got a really fiery heart for travel and supporting people through that travel, but also helping people come to the realisation that Jesus is real and he's not just a man-made written Bible. It's real. It's got codes. It couldn't have been made by man. And just having that confidence and conviction like I had in my business, I want that in Christ and I want to continue being a student for a bit longer. But in that time, also hope that he moulds me into a better missionary person and that does more good for him and more service for his kingdom. Wifery or wifery and uh, motherhood? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. sign me up, tick, tick. No, I've always, <laughs> I'm a lover of love. I'm such a romantic. And um, I think the one thing that Jesus has taught me is that if I fix my eyes on him, that everything else falls into place. Um, I can tell you that the kind of men that I, de- that I dated previously are not the type that I would <laughs> date <laughs> as a Christian. Um, I call it my BC, my before Christ, you know, yeah. all of those things. But I think... I had a lot of deliverance, which is something I, I probably should mention too, and I really encourage people that have yeah. heard my story from you such darkness. It. I needed proper deliverance, and I went through on and off about seven weeks of deliverance. Like oh. it was every Monday night, and it was rough, and it was intense, but it was intentional. And it, and it and freed me. And you had some me. mature people around you to do that. Oh, absolutely. You know, God was very specific about the circles he placed me in to make yeah. sure I was on the right path with yeah. the right Bible, with the right people, really just all in deep yeah, to the yeah. right gospel, to the correct Wonderful. gospel. 
yeah, so, um, and I still feel like I'm blessed like that now. It just keeps getting better and bigger and my, my circles get bigger and better too. So it's just, yeah, it's been an amazing journey and I can't wait to be a wife and a mother. Wonderful. Yeah. It's lovely to hear your story. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing it. Thank and you just, so much for uh, having me. You know, being yourself. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think God's got a beautiful uh, journey for you ahead. Thank you. Soul. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. What an encouragement, eh? I'm sure that uh, Katie's journey is similar to maybe some of yours or some of the people that you know. And you probably would have given up on these people. Well, don't. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't and God hasn't and Jesus hasn't. And he does turn lives around. Even sometimes if they don't end up in church, maybe on the floor in their own home or maybe by messing up their playlist, God can do amazing things. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we're amazed to see what God has done in Katie's life and uh, we can't wait to see what God can do in your life or in the lives of those people whom you know and are waiting for them to respond to the gospel message. Uh, share this story with other people so they can be encouraged and be built please up. Do. And please come back next week. Uh, we'll have a new story for you here at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. I'm Nathaniel Castillo. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.